0: I just want to get the levels. You want to? Hey, man, how are you? One, two, three, four, five. We're just talking like this as you're recording yeah. to Zoom. You know the routine. Genius, I love it. Yeah. What, what is it? it's like. Is this? What else are they doing here?
1: Ah, uh, so we have about 17 different shows that run out of here. My show is called My Summer Lair. Yeah. And then uh, we also bring in DJs, yeah. and then uh, another show that I host is called In Session, yep. where we bring in bands. We've had Sam Roberts, a whole bunch of people, awesome. and they kind of play into here. Awesome. Sam Roberts, like he was like so excited because you get to have a beer during the interview. 100. Oh <laughs> right? yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the bands they get all excited. You're like, you mean I, I can drink and like I can swear while like yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> special, like, man. yeah. yeah, I love it. But the problem though is uh, I interviewed a couple of um, actresses, and then they got into the wine. And then yeah. they started telling me stories about like Coke and the Sid oh. and the AD punch somebody. I'm like,
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, then yeah, their publicists get pissed at that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to the PR lady, I'm like, What do I do with this? Yeah, like, hear it. Yeah. God, Unless they
0: tell you not to, you yeah. hear it.
1: She's like, Yeah, no, they got into the wine. So it's all. Really? Yes. Oh, that's dope, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's amazing. Good for you.
1: Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio. Welcome, George. Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, yeah. We got to do the handshake. Yeah. You? I know. <laughs> you're used to TV, right? With all the... Uh, I'm just used to humanity. Yeah. We just got to yeah. shake hands. <laughs> there you go. Fist bump, too. Let's Fistbomb. throw in one of those. Nice. There you go. Uh, welcome to Pacific Junction Hotel Bar. I know you're a little bit more... Uh, you frequent Betty's a little bit more for some of the hockey games
0: and basketball games. Yeah. You know, just because I never come east, east of Young, but a, a couple of friends of mine live out here. So during the Blue Jays run, we'd have to meet in a bar out here. So mm-hmm. that's where I, I had been. Um, but I, I like when I saw you there last time. I mean, that was like the first time I've been there in a million years. Um, but I'm always west of Young, generally in okay.
1: Toronto. <laughs> yeah. See, we're getting the dirt already right yeah. up front. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this is kind of a similar setup to what you have with the house of Strombo, inviting cool people to hang out in your place and uh, yeah, just having
0: people be a part of it, like letting the audience see it, just kind of connect to strangers. I think that's really important. Turn strangers into friends. That's kind of the idea. <laughs>
1: is that influenced at all from your much music days with the energy and the you, like you just said humanity right we just shook hands right at the beginning and yeah. the, people loved that just being able to shut down Queen Street when like you two or some big band came and
0: that was amazing man those were such fun days it is inspired in, to a degree by that but also by the stuff that I used to do at a radio station in Toronto called The Edge so in the in the mid 90s I got a job at The Edge and um, we had a storefront studio on Yonge Street not dissimilar to what you guys have here and, and, and bands would come in and the audience would come in and even when there wasn't a band people would come in just to hang out. So I got to watch these kids grow up. I got to know them. You see them when they're 15. And then years later, they're 18, 19, 20. And all of a sudden you meet them when I was at much music, then they had marriages and kids and stuff. And it was, it was really interesting to watch people grow up. I really liked being a part of their lives. And I think they felt the same way about us who worked at the radio station. So a, a lot of what I, how I, how I built my career as a broadcaster is from that is from what it was like at the edge in those early days at much where the audience's relationship with you was important. It wasn't, it's not just about like, do the audience like what we're doing? I want them to like what we're doing, but you can't just program to what the audience likes. Sometimes friends, we have to challenge the audience. We have, to, so I don't look at them in that respect to me. It's just what kind of relationship are we building? One of trust. And and if we have that, then we can build a real relationship. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, And and so that started in the edge for me. I worked at the fan in the early nineties and I was, uh, I used to wear a mascot outfit <laughs> when I worked in Kelowna at a rock station. So my first radio jobs were meeting the fans. And even, even before that, I had a job at the Albion Mall where I was working at an illegal radio station that was set up in the mall with an illegal transmitter. Rexdale represent. Totally. (laughs) So I was on the air in that station when I was 21 years old, something like that. And then you met the people. So the idea that you, there is no barrier between you and, and the person listening. You just, it's just a communication. And that's what I've always tried to do my entire career. And so now I get to do it out of my house
1: it also makes sense because I mean a lot of the stuff that you do is music related I know you've done some other things with yeah. like CNN and uh, you mentioned Fan 590 but a lot of the stuff you do is music related and music is very visceral you feel music you connect with yeah. music as a music curator yourself how do you because the internet is an open buffet yeah. so how do you take the time to kind of slow down and slow food your music
0: I just figured that most people want it the way they want it. So not everybody wants a long form. Some people just want a snippet. Some people, you know, honestly, if it's not like there's like four artists in the world that people really want to download, D- that's it. You're right. right. If you look at the numbers, what moves. So I don't really worry so much about that. I just, I trust my instincts and the team that we work with. We trust our instincts collectively. So we just make choices and we think we like this. So let's just put it out there. You know, I think a lot, of, I like. All, most of modern rock and roll is based off of this handful of blues artists, right? And the those blues artists weren't particularly famous back then. Half that stuff that has moved the audience was were field recordings that the Lomax family did, but they weren't known. So we kind of feel like we're documenting great music, some of it you know. Some of it you will know eventually, mm-hmm. and some of it you may never know, but in the moment that got you through the night. So that's kind of how we approach it. It, it is, and we're living, I think we're almost in peak music content. I mean, everybody's got music, something going on, but that's good because let's share music.
1: Yeah. Let's that's why whatever, we use yeah. the open buffet analogy, yeah. right? Because I mean, it's it takes. Like, yeah. when you sit down with the internet, everything ever is there.
0: Yeah. Right? It's <laughs> so, all there. But you know what the problem is? when When everything's there, it's really hard to find. Like it's really hard to find, so what you need to do is find, and who's got the time to spend six hours a night doing what I do, mm-hmm. which is three, three four hours a night listening or for music or ideas or cultural movements or something? That's what we do. You and I do that, and then we curate it, and we hopefully I mean, not so much curation as much as contextualizing. We find the things. We provide a little context for it, to it, and then we hope the audience likes it, and if they like it, cool. If they don't, well, that doesn't mean it's not good shit. We mm-hmm. like it anyway.
1: yeah. And there's a thing, too, where, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in your relationship with the audience, like you said, they've kind of, as you grow up with them, when you're in your 20s, you feel music, you feel the clash, and it's real to you, right? And then as you get into your 30s and 40s, your priorities change a little bit and things, people don't go through the stacks, like you said, right? I do.
0: Yeah, you do. I still feel it. Yeah. Yeah, that hasn't faded for me at all. But yeah. have you noticed that like, we're like some- Yeah, most some... people as they get older, their record collection shrinks. Yeah. They listen to the same bunch of records all the time. I understand that. I completely do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's no judgment. It's just yeah. that's the way it goes. That's like I know you have kids, you have like other priorities, so you just end up stuck with Coldplay you 2 and-
0: I, Which is good. Yes. But I also think that for a lot of people, what happens is they, you know, when you're young, the world could be anything. And when you get older, you kind of realize what the world is. And so it's a little bit harder- to listen to some kid talking about the future is ours because <laughs> you got there and you went, eh, I don't know, maybe it's not ours. Maybe it still belongs to the same handful of banks and the same bastards that run <laughs> yes. Wall Street and Bay Street and the same you know, uh, bullshit government. And so y- when you get a little older, you... People have less of an appetite to overthrow in that respect. Mm -hmm. But there are still so many people who are working on the ground and grassroots organizations feeling people's discontent or their hopes and dreams. So I kind of feel like if you are one of those people who is wired to not lose that fight, then it is your responsibility to feed that fight. It is my responsibility to feed that fight. I still have it in me. Um, The older I get, I think the gnarlier I get. (laughs) <laughs> about about this sort of thing. The more I understand the clash, the 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 reckless abandon of youth allows them to make it. But I think what makes them so special is that it's when we're much older that we can really understand it and appreciate it. I think so anyway.
1: You're almost talking about nuance in a sense. Yeah,
0: everything is. Well, I'm talking about nuance, but I'm also talking about just stripping it down and looking at the core message of something. What are you about? I think at some point you have to ask yourself, who are you and what are you about? No, we know our... Art in the 60s, well, actually from the beginning of time, but the beginning of when they were documenting this, people asked this question, why are we here? I have never given a shit about that question. I have never cared why are we here. It is irrelevant to me why we are here. I think it's based on ego to, to assume that the answer mm-hmm. will validate you. No, I don't give a shit why we're here. My my whole man, you know, reason for being is, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? Like, put me put me to work. I like to be in service. I like to connect with people. We need to focus on how can we help others, not just can we go to Northern Pakistan after a flood and help them, not just can we go to Haiti, but although those are important, but also how can we help each other feel like they're not alone? How can we connect with each other and get us through the day? Lots of people have wonderful days. Many do not. Our job is to kind of bring everybody together. So that's how I've always operated, but I've never needed the why are we here. And I think this is what happens: people get older, and then they're like, oh, "Well, what's really the message? And the message is the fucking same. It's always been: get out there and fight for somebody. Yeah, <laughs> you know, get out there and fight. You know, it's what's the kid? You know Kid Rock has a lot of grief, but <laughs> he had that line: get in the pit and love someone. Yeah, which I believe the original lyric was: oh, get in the pit and try to kill someone. That's what he wrote but he was convinced to not put that in. <laughs> big difference. Big There's a difference. bit of a spectrum there. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want, they not want that shit at the shows. Um, but get just actually go out there and, and, and go about your day and raise your family and blah, blah, blah. Get all, get while you gotta do that. But, but don't just be about you, like be about us. At least that's how I, I've always approached it. So there is a nuance for sure, but in a way it's a little bit more stripped down and it's just like a straight ahead, you know, it's a locomotive. And mm-hmm. I really believe that that's how I operate like a train and I just try to keep it on the rails. That's yes. it. And some days are better on the rails than others, no, right? Like I'm you take those. Yeah. yeah, often I'm off the rails. But the good news is I've taken so many bangs that I can handle it. Yeah. If I roll into a cliff, I don't really care. I just, you know, get that train back on the trails and keep going.
1: I want to bring up your Twitter bio. Part of your Twitter bio is social justice. Yeah. Chop wood, carry water. Yeah.
0: What do you do before enlightenment? You chop wood, carry water. What do you do after enlightenment? You chop wood, carry water. It's just going to work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's almost like The Walking Dead, right? Like once all that stuff is gone,
0: once you're stripped down, yeah. it's like what can, you chop wood, you carry oh, water. That's it. That's exactly it. I don't, I've been so lucky in this career to get, I'm 45 years old now and I've had a really nice run and I don't know what tomorrow will have in store for me, but I know that whatever it is, as a human being, I've done the work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never fell for the trappings of this job. I never did. I I appreciate them, but I never fell for them. They're not my reason for being. I'm not validated by it. I just like to go to work. I like to make stuff. I like to make things with my friends, and I like to have human connections. But what does it really matter? Well, in the big picture, of course, nothing, because we're just all carbon-based life forms on a fucking marble hurtling door death. Um, <laughs> 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 but and I don't believe in an afterlife, man. So this is it for me. All right, right? you got to make this one count. That's then That's right. This is my one life. Yeah. My, what am I going to do? My half life, maybe. Yeah. So balls in your hands. The clock's winding down. That's right. And in me, and you know what? Sometimes I'm I run out of time, or sometimes my, my job is just to pass the ball. You know, didn't the Bulls win a title once when Jordan passed to Steve Kerr? Yeah. Threw fucking everybody off, right? Mm-hmm. And his response in the interview afterwards was, I passed too. Yeah. You
1: know? <laughs> there was uh, when before, when they had Doug Collins as a coach, yeah. there was a game, I think it was a playoff game. I can't remember which game it was. But anyways, in the timeout, you know how they sometimes mic the, the coach, yeah. Doug Collins is, uh, so he, he calls a timeout and in, all he says in the huddle was, all right. One of you, I don't care. One of you passes the ball to Jordan, the rest of you get the fuck out of the way. Is that what he <laughs>
0: <laughs> And it's... It's funny. Listen, my, my mother is a really, 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 really faith-based person. Jesus is her thing, right? I don't have that in me. But with the amount she thinks about Jesus, it probably equal to the amount I think about Michael Jordan's career. <laughs> yes. I, I watch a lot of Jordan clips on YouTube and I miss what Michael Jordan meant. Yeah. I miss Michael Jordan as, a, as an icon on the court. There's that great line. That's standard. Yeah, the standard. You know, there's a great line in Phil Jackson, then the coach who replaced Doug. Phil Jackson has that book. I think it was called Zen Hoops or whatever, which was if you see Buddha in the lane, feed him the ball. And that's Bob Mackwitz, who's my partner in in this business, and he's my best friend. Him and Jim Richards are my closest friends. We, and Jeff Merrick, of course. But we, what we talk about often is if there's Buddha in the lane, feed him the ball. Bob and I at work are always talking about that. Like, what is the best, purest way to excel. I'm not a perfectionist. When people tell me they're a perfectionist, secretly in my head I laugh. I don't judge, but I laugh because perfection <laughs> is mental. It's not a real thing. What I am is an executionist. Can I execute on our vision? What happens after is not up to us. You it can it can be imperfect and be wonderful. And so that's kind of how that's just kind of how I want to be in this one life that I have.
1: There's that Jordan commercial where uh, he talks about, I've taken this many shots at, yeah. the, at the end and, like, and I've bricked them and like i failed over and over and over yeah. again. And, and the last line is, that's why I succeed.
0: Yeah, it's because I fail is why I succeed, 100%. And failure doesn't scare me. Like, I, I think, and I don't know why I don't have this brain chemistry. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when I was raised, I was raised in a really blue-collar family. My family's biggest hope for me was to get a job. My grandmother wanted me to be a bus driver because I could sit down for a living and be in the union. My, my mother wanted me to be a preacher, but was really just wanting me to be a good person. They never put any pressure on me at all to do anything. I had no career pressure. Like no, I barely had it. My report cards were terrible, man. Nobody asked me about them. But I think once my mother had said, should we talk about this? These marks aren't very good. And I was like, nah, I don't really care. Like, I'm working on it, but I don't really care. <laughs> and her thing was, I don't really care what you end up doing, but if you're a good person, a decent human being, that's the win. So, and I listen, I'm not the best guy in the world, but I feel like I honored my mother's, you know, uh, my, my honored my mother's hopes. But because I had no pressure on me, I don't give a fuck if things work or don't work. Like, I want them to work, of course, but if they don't work, like, whatever. Yeah, You can't be defined by that stuff. You can't be defined by the things that don't work. You just have to go to work or or build something or or not go to work and be okay with that too. People blow their brains out working for businesses that are gonna lay them off and then they're gonna be, like I always laugh, man, not to go off track, but I always laugh when I was working on The Hour and, and that talk show, When France was trying to reduce the work week and I listened to everybody, especially in Canada, who are so smug and Americans are so smug, both the two countries in this continent, two other countries, there are many, of course, but two other countries, Canada and America were like, well, how does France expect to be competitive and blah, 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 blah. And I remember saying on TV going, you motherfuckers, like you're actually rooting for more work for a company that doesn't give a shit about you for an economy where you barely participate in. Yeah. Like, you think if these companies make that much more money, they're going to pass the savings on to you? 9-11 happens, gas prices change, airline flights go up. Oh, because gas costs. But then when, when all that comes, calms down, we're like, well, should our prices go down? Well, they don't, because when we bought the fuel, it was this. It's always just bullshit all the time, for for the most part. But people in North America rooted against more time with your kids, more time yeah, living your life, more time being healthy <laughs> yeah. and happy, right? That's the kind of bullshit that I don't participate in, you know, and I don't want to participate in. And I've been very lucky to work for some really big companies. Sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it has not worked at all. Yeah. But never has it defined me.
1: Right. Yeah. Do you have then, other than just kind of like doing really good, excellent work, do you have any sort of idea of what success is? Or like, how do you know when you've done a good interview or like, because you've done like CNN, you've done CBC, much like,
0: how do you? I'll give an example. So we did 10 episodes for CNN. I thought all those interviews really worked. I think we did 40 interviews and about 35 of them were lights out interviews, as, as good an interview as I've ever been a part of. The audience was fine. It was just a summer replacement show. We were never supposed to do more. So that was fine. But you know, how many people saw the, that show? Not that many, right? Not that many. So, but those were good. Mm-hmm. And I've done interviews at Much Music that were shit yeah. that I got thrown out of. And more people talk to me about them today. So I don't know what people think is good. I just know that if I feel comfortable with it, then I roll with it. That's kind of how it is. Uh, to me, success is that I represent myself; that they represent themselves. Was the conversation authentic and honest? Okay, then we got something. That's kind of all I'm going for.
1: And do you change, or have you? How have you evolved in terms of your skill set now? Right, because you you've done so many interviews. Like, does your approach at all change, or is it kind of still maintained and con- like consistent?
0: I think I'm a better listener than I used to be. I think when I started, I listened. But you're on TV, you're on the radio. There's a, there are a lot of things to think about. Like you know, you're wearing headphones now. You know, you wear headphones, so you can hear everybody's voice back. You're you're thinking about time. You're thinking is the recording level. Right. All these things that are in your head, um, are in your head. As time goes on, you find a way to quiet those voices. So a good interview is kind of like meditation. You kind of you you acknowledge the noise that comes with this, but you you just let it be over there, to your left or your right, wherever you put it, and then you stay present. I've gotten much better at that over the years. I'm still not perfect by any means. This is, this is just a journey, right? <laughs> yeah. What does Bill Hicks say? Life is just a ride, man. He yeah. goes up and down, round that's and it, round. yeah. You know, it's brightly colored, and that's it. So that's kind of how I approach this. But a good interview feels honest. It feels honest. That's what I like. The line that I'm, I'm so sick and tired of people saying now is "Speak your truth." It's like don't speak your fucking truth. Speak the truth. The truth. You get to have your own truth, but you don't get to have your own facts. Right.
1: Well, especially in this era, right?
0: Like people like, oh, but this is my truth. Your truth is not interesting to me unless it makes you a better person. Right. What I'm interested in is what is the truth? What is our truth collectively? So that we don't make this about the individual anymore, but we make this about the group. That I think not in a Borg or the communist way, but just like the group as a group of people who have to who have to coexist with each other
1: especially with some of the people you interview because they're a little bit more uh, established, a little bit more famous. And so sometimes it's kind of like a first date in a sense where like you, it's hard to show yourself a little bit. And so you kind of put on this like artificial kind of extension of yourself. You
0: mean the guest does?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so sometimes you have to kind of, you as an interviewer have to kind of work through that a little bit. I'm like, okay, I understand. The movie was amazing. The album's amazing. All right, let's yeah. get past that part. It's, and it's and let's get down like, to it's the- kind
0: of like emotional archeology. span You're digging up the site. Sometimes you use a hoe, a big back hoe. Sometimes you use a little paintbrush to wipe the dust off. And bit by bit, you pull these bones out, you lay them out with the guest, and then you let the audience decide what creature it was. That's what interviewing really is. Because you're right, you do have to get through sometimes some pretty heavy duty soil and rock mm-hmm. to get to whatever that, that thing is. And sometimes you don't get there. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get there. And if you don't get there, then just God hope it's entertaining. <laughs> <You> know, that's a <laughs> <you> yeah. <laughs> So people don't feel like they want to like, jump off, you know, just hurt themselves. So you 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 that's the goal is to get to that sort of authentic place doesn't always work but I, that's what i aim for and you know what honestly i think most people now know that if they're going to sit with me that's the expectation it's a little bit different on the radio show because you know we're playing music and that show's really about music so it's kind of that to me right now um we're working on this new interview thing which will be closer to the stuff we're talking about now
1: the staying curious as well how do you do that like to stay curious after all this time, and to still have like, and to be curious about the guests that come in, to be curious about the music that they're making, and all that. Like, how do you fuel that fire, and how does that fire not just go out?
0: I don't know. It doesn't go out for me. I don't lose that fire. So, I I I think that I do this for a living because I have that fire. I don't have that fire because of the job. Uh, and if it wasn't this particular kind of career, I would have applied this fire to something else. And. I'm genuinely interested in finding nice songs, beautiful songs. Like I really want that. I want to watch nice movies, and I want to talk to cool people, and I want to, I want people who are who are who are changing the game. I like that. So that's a, in, easy to be uh, interested in. But whenever you're having those bad days or moments where it's harder to get there, then you just treat it like a craft. You're like, it doesn't matter what I think, and it doesn't matter how I feel today. This is what I'm doing. And I think that's a really important exercise. It's I know in this era, people don't like the phrase, suck it up. But sometimes you just got to suck it (laughs) up. Like, honestly, this whole idea where everybody in their field, no, no, suck it up. Not if you're dealing with something serious. Yeah. But if you're just not in the mood, who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Fucking suck it up. Or don't do it and don't complain about it. Yeah. Right? I think what we need is a little bit more um, stick-to-itiveness. Yeah. And I liked it because not every day do I feel wonderful going into an interview and there's a lot of noise in my head as well in fact i have a really noisy head but i just put it aside and i get the job done and maybe that's just because i came from a super blue collar life where i wasn't where my grandmother and my mother worked hard my aunt my uncle worked hard man so i i grew up with the hard work and if you're not feeling great let's deal with it but it but, if you can get through, get through. Maybe that's not the best advice, but that's how I did it. You know, go to school when you're sick. You
1: yeah. Know? Gratitude also goes a long way because it's like it's an immense privilege to I find oh. it's like an immense privilege just to sit and to chat with people like yourself and like hang out and get some drinks and like let's talk about music. let's talk about books and yeah. stuff.
0: Gratitude is maybe the key to life. I think so, kindness and that that bridge between empathy and compassion, but gratitude, of course, man, love and gratitude. Uh, like, I think in some respects the Beatles were right when they said love is all you need. But in many other respects, we don't need love. We need social justice and laws. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you love that person. Lo- but let's not infringe on their rights. Right. You know? <laughs> so love really isn't. When I, when I see on Twitter when some shit goes down around the world, tragic stuff, people on Twitter, we just need more love. I'm like, no, nah, we don't need any fucking love. We need law, yeah, <laughs> social justice, and respect. Um And change behavior too sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Like That's a huge part, but that's... That's education. I think we often say that education is the answer, but the truth is education without a moral compass is not the answer because most of the people who are doing all this damage in the world are highly educated. Right. They're highly educated people who are screwing everybody over. So education is not the answer. And it's Morality hard. Morality is. Yeah.
1: It's hard for people to also understand that like- the greed mentality because some of us are not built like that. Like I can't imagine just sitting there trying to get all these billions of dollars and feeling comfortable screwing people in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Or like- Isn't that astonishing? Yeah. I can't like, I can't get to that level of conscience. So it's hard, it's easy for me to judge them but
0: I can't understand them. Right, but because you're not a sociopath. (laughs) No. And you're not a monster and they're monsters. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Like they're monsters. If you put your financial benefit ahead of the poisoning of all these kids in Flint, Michigan—you're a monster. That's it. I don't believe in good and evil, but I believe that some people do really horrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I said morality, by the way, I don't mean the traditional definition of morality. I mean just like the, you know, m- some kind of compass that we need. Yeah, I don't, I don't operate that way either. The whole greed game to me—it's what was beat into our heads. Uh, I'm I'm older than you, but in the '80s, that was beat into the our corner heads. office. Yeah beat into your heads, those jobs don't even exist anymore. In fact, a lot of those guys, and they were a bunch of white men who are telling us about those corner offices, they're greeters at Walmart now because they got kicked out of those jobs when they downsized. Yeah, and Not that greeting Walmart's a bad job, that's a dope job too. Any job that you can get honest pay is a good job. What you want is a fair living wage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And not every company takes care of its employees. But that corner office corporate ladder thing, who does that work for? And who's happy? You see those people in the morning when they when they walk to work with their with their running shoes on and their suits and their their coffee and their fob hanging around their neck and they don't look pleased? I'm not judging them, I support them. But those people work their asses off and what do they get in return from that company? Very little. Gold watch and a nice chair. If you're lucky. And then when does that go away? When Amazon changes the whole delivery game and yes. and this bullshit of the gig economy goes away when people realize it's not real yeah. and when there are no jobs. <laughs> <You know>? Lies. <laughs> lies. I watch when people, uh, you know, I was in Vancouver and Uber, everybody in Uber is like, they're mad at Uber because, well, the cabs, what about the cabs? And here are the cabs, what about the cabs? I'm like, well, when technology decimated the music business, where were you? Nobody protected the music business at all Mm -hmm. in fact they shit on the music business nonstop. this business that while imperfect gave a lot of people a lot of music and did make a lot of people a lot of money but the when technology took that away no one got mad when all the mom and pop shops went away because you went to walmart then what happens and then now amazon has taken away walmart yeah and best buy you know where are we all gonna work like where's everybody gonna work these are the things that I find really interesting, and greed only benefits, as we've learned, the very few, and that's not interesting to me.
1: I want to pick up on one thread that you mentioned, which is the idea of like recognizing like how the music industry has changed and things like that. Because you you're in a position where you did the old school, you did Fan Five Ninety yeah. and Edge One Hundred Two, and now you're working with Apple Music, yeah. for example. We have CRSXM. XM, and I'm still on um,
0: on on CBC Radio too, still on terrestrial radio.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. So. Are you excited for what we've gained? or Are you saddened by some of what we've lost? Or
0: No, no. I, I like what we have. I think the only thing that isn't as valuable to people anymore as it used to be, and I think there was real value in it, was the collective experience. It's the reason why I still do the show on Sunday nights the way we do it. I want people to watch—or sorry, I want people to listen at the same time. I know we're on demand. I know blah, blah, blah. I get it. I listen on demand, too, to lots of stuff. But I do think there's value in the collective experience. It's what Twitter turns into when there's a big TV event, big sporting event, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, yeah. Like they break Twitter, you know. Um, That's important. That's a nice collective experience. In a way, Drake figured it out when he dropped that Hotline Bling video. You know, that night he dropped that video, and it was popping, and everybody at once went to it. That was a collective experience. So there's ways to do it. I have a lot of love for Drake, man. A lot of respect for Drake and and his whole OVO crew. So I don't lament the old days, but I do feel, I'm not bragging because I had nothing to do with it, but I feel like, man, I was right at, I I caught the last golden era. You did. Like our run at Much Music, I mean, man, I'll tell you, it was unparalleled. I don't—I mean, what we were able to be a part of at Much Music and that whole crew and how we felt and what we were doing, that that run at the edge when I was at the edge in the late 90s, like that era, the pre-Nap, I mean, Napster showed up. But the business hadn't. The business started to implode partway through my much career. But that era was something. More people talk to me today about much music than anything else I've done, which I find really interesting. Considering most of those people would have been four yeah. when I was on much, right? So I, I, I know how valuable those days were. I don't. I don't miss them. Yeah, I'll tell you the. I mean, that's not true. I do miss what they meant. I'll tell you what. What mattered though. I traveled across this country a lot. It's a lot of real estate, a lot of real estate. And I've been to only one of the territories, but every other province, many, many, many times. Um, the far North all over it. And what we created at much, what we were a part of, cause they created it before us. But then what we did with it after as well to, to build on what they did was we created a safe space for kids to watch. If you were gay, straight, Lesbian by trans two spirit weren't sure. When you watched us, you were never judged. You were never weird. When you watched us, you were welcome and you were safe. If we played a video that had a really hyper sexualized lead in it.
1: Like Duran Duran or something or
0: Oh yeah, or but even band Girls on film, but even like we played like Christina Aguilar's Dirty, whatever that was, right? Mm-hmm. Much would have shows afterwards called Too Much for Much where they would actually talk about it and contextualize it so that you didn't just put a bunch of raw sexual imagery well, really targeted sexual imagery from a pop star who is essentially like a a product. Mm -hmm. um, Not Christina, but in general. And we didn't take the audience for granted. We recognized that there was a human being on the other side watching this who maybe isn't fully comprehending all this stuff because they're young or they haven't been exposed to it. And we put a lot of work into making sure that we did the right thing by them. That's what's missing, for sure. I watch, I consume a lot of music, stuff, and we do it on our show, for sure. We still do it, but we're not much music. I'm just a small radio show doing my thing or a small YouTube channel doing my thing. And we're going to grow it. But what we really did was make sure that everybody watching knew you were safe here. We were doing transgender stories in New Orleans 15 years before Caitlyn Jenner, you know, was Caitlyn Jenner. Like, that's a long time. Much has been doing that stuff for a minute, man. You know, they honored Denise Donlin at the Junos this year, and it's well-deserved. She was an incredible leader. Still is. I was so lucky to work with her, and a woman called Tanya Nachef and a guy called David Kynes. Like, these people took this shit seriously. That's missing that's what the internet doesn't have because in in because what happens is in social media it's just a bunch of people fucking talking there's no actual discussion anymore
1: you're just talking at people
0: yeah and, and everybody's entrenched like how, how often i remember being on tv and i have a point of view and somebody would say something and i would think oh yeah, that's uh yeah i hadn't thought of that that's not fucking twitter <laughs> it's not facebook yeah, i know it's, in fact those places you even screwed us by only putting the shit we want to see in our out al- with their algorithm in our timeline. How's that gonna get better? I mean, the fucking Russians used Facebook to help win an election. That's like season two of twenty-four that seemed far fetched. That happened. I know. Life is getting more absurd. It's absurd. It is full on absurd. So so I think back in that day for at least for a young audience, and again, I'm only talking for a youth audience, much music did a really good job, YTV did a really good job of 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 respecting their audience. And I don't see a lot of that in the TV anymore. I don't even know what, what's TV for kids now. I mean, I watch Rick and Morty. Yeah. You know, that's the best show I think on TV.
1: I guess part of what you're saying too, though, it goes back to the Jordan standard, right? He came in, Kobe kind of followed the same thing. We're like, we're going to take this seriously and yeah. we're going to put the time in the gym. Yeah. Magic Johnson, like Isaiah Thomas, there's a legacy of these guys. Yeah. But we also know guys that just signed a big contract and then didn't do anything. And like guys who just kind of goofed off and just like didn't care.
0: And we're not wearing their shoes today. You're right. But we're wearing Jordans.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> that's the thing, and it's like that's, I still have my OG one eighty four
0: Jordan. Yo, high my, five for the OG. My OG yeah. Man. yeah,
1: and that's the thing. I think like that's the standard that kind of lasts a little bit more longer, right? It's yeah. when you put that time and effort, and that's why people kind of are so viscerally connected to much music.
0: I think so. I think you're absolutely right because we've thought I had for the we did a holiday special, which you can see on our YouTube channel, and I invited Rick. Uh, well, Rick couldn't make it; he was out of town. But um, Ed, the sock, Sukian, and Master T came over, and I put it on on just a little bit of it online people freaked out. But I think it's because they realized that we actually gave a shit. Like we weren't really in it for us. We weren't making that much money. We, and we were making enough to pay our rent, but we weren't getting rich off it, you know? And we really, truly believed in our music and believed in sharing those stories and believed in the audience. Um, And that is the legacy, but we weren't doing it for legacy. That's the best part of it, right? You do it because you just want to do it right. And over time, the legacy will be defined by your actions, Yeah, You know, and I think, I mean, that's never wavered in me. Like I still want to operate that way and I still operate that way. And I know that I turned down opportunities that would be better for my business, but don't care. I'm 45 years old. No human being has anything to prove to anybody. You just got to do what's right by you, you know, and hopefully honor the truth.
1: And that's partly, I think, why your slogan on Twitter, when your hashtag is we love music. And just based on what you're talking about, your emphasis really now is on the we part.
0: Yeah. Right. 100%. 100%. Because And that's been the funny thing about my career, because it's so much been about me, right? It's called The Strombo Show. It's all this stuff.
1: You're the face of the place. I'm the
0: face of the place. Yeah, exactly. And it is my home. Like, it is my home. <laughs> but you know what? I don't mind that so much, because, yeah, I mean, I've got 25 years in this in this game and 25 years of, of work it. And I think most people trust what I say about music. There are lots of people out there who do not like me as a, as a person in the media, and I don't really care. Like, I appreciate their point of view. I'm not even saying they're wrong. Like, that's the thing about taste. You just have your own taste. Um, I can say with absolute certainty that I'm in this for the right reasons and I care about doing good work and some of the shit works and some of the shit doesn't work and they're going to bury me and in a hundred years, no one's even going to remember us and that's okay. Like, I that's They may
1: well wear your shoes though,
0: right? Wear your sh- Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make some uh, Strombo shoes. There you no, go. No, we don't make sneakers. <laughs> um, but we've got some stuff. Yeah, I think you just have to be Like, just do it for the right reasons and it will help. Again, if you're just chasing cash, that's cool, too. You can do that. I'm not judging anybody for their approach. It's just not the right approach for me. It would be inauthentic to me.
1: Uh, So I want to just transition because since we are talking about this collective we and we're talking about this compassion and humanity as well. In 2016, you were hanging out at Standing Rock.
0: Yes, I was. That's right. Uh, chopping wood Chopping wood Literally chopping wood Yeah, actually chopping wood That's right, yeah
1: Because we just lost Gord Downey And yeah. he was kind of leading this charge To have indigenous uh, reconciliation Because in Canada We have a horrible track record I mean states too But Canada We have a horrible track, oh, record, horrible w- track record With our First Nations Yeah, yeah. With, with the passing of Gord now How are we looking like? Do you think we're getting better? Is there There's obviously a lot of work That we can do
0: Yeah, I think Gord did a lot Obviously a lot of really great stuff um, The secret path was amazing Amazing I think, you know, what anybody who has any profile like Gord would even admit this is we, not, I am in no way equating myself to Gord, but just somebody who has this job. We shine a light on the work that's already being done. So the path to reconciliation has been a long, arduous journey, right? With lots of false promises, lots of bullshit, lots of lying, lots of deception. But a lot of people did the work to get to where Gord was. And then Gord just turned that light on it. When I went to Standing Rock, I I didn't do very much posting. I, you know, I posted after the fact. Because that wasn't why I was there. I was there to, to, to gain a little insight so I could talk about it in my career. But I was really just there because I had a pickup truck. And I knew that people needed wood. So we drove there. And we set up our tents. And we just had access to wood and we would go get wood, chop wood, we'd bring back wood and we'd take it around the camps and give people wood. It wasn't for, that's why we didn't, my friends and I who went, we weren't trying to make it a big, um, I wasn't trying to capitalize on the media event. That's not what it was about. It was about doing the work. Uh, And it's funny because I was in Haiti three days before and while I was in Haiti, the organization I worked with was doing some stuff there. I was with my friend Will. Will was shooting it. And Will, we're like, he's like, standing rock? And I said, Yeah. And my other friend in LA, Ben, was like, we gotta go to Standing Rock. I'm like, we gotta go to Standing Rock. He flew to Chicago. We flew back to Toronto. Jumped in a pickup truck. Threw some winter gear in the back. Drove. Got to the border. What are you doing? Uh, we're going camping. Okay. And he opens the back of the pickup truck. Boy, you got a lot of winter gear. I said, yeah, we're, you know, that's who we are. And then we <laughs> got through. We drove to Standing Rock, to the to Cannonball, drove to North Dakota. And um, we just went to work. So I think that, People like people who have celebrity pick the right time and the right organization to be involved with, but really it's just about the work that's already being done and trying to get a little bit more attention. My job really is to raise money and awareness for issues. If I'm in a position where I can do both, then I do both. I host these events every year because I want to raise money because I know where the money goes. Mm -hmm. That's important, but there are so many people doing that work that often cats in our position get way too much credit it's really the work they're doing, and we're very lucky to be able to be working with them. It's very similar to like
1: Bono's work, kind of. like yeah. I know. I learned a
0: lot from him, man. He taught me a lot about how to do this.
1: In terms of like managing your quote-unquote celebrity as a currency and just how to kind of cash those checks?
0: Yeah, he was very much about—I mean, he used a religious quote, which obviously I'm not religious, but I understood it. He had said to somebody, a priest who was working somewhere, he said, how do I get God to bless my work? And the priest said to him, why don't you see where God is currently working? And chances are it's already blessed. Oh, Meaning, snap. Yeah. And Bonham was like, yeah, that is the right approach. And that stuck with me. He told me that one night. We were having, uh, we were just, one night he told me. And I, that stayed with me because I'm thinking, right, yeah. Not that I want God to bless my work because I don't believe in God. But what I want is a, just let me where do you need me like where can i be the most help then i'll go and yeah celebrity is a the thing with celebrity is it's a light so celebrity is a lot of people shining a light on you and if you don't deflect it into other areas it will burn you up it will burn you up very few people survive this game and without some kind of internal strife Mm -hmm. i don't have any internal strife never have i won't have it it's like Whenever this becomes about me, I very quickly fix that. and <laughs> I, I correct myself going, nah, bruh, we're not doing this. <laughs> so you're supposed to do good work as a human being. If you're in our position, we get some benefits. I get to come talk to you. I get to, sometimes I don't have to pay to get into a bar. You know, there's no cover charge sometimes. Um, sometimes a cop lets you offer a ticket, not always, but sometimes. And you get a lot of benefits from being in this position. The very least you can do in return, <laughs> you know, is what's right but I think every human being should do that and, and I would have done this and have done this before I got this job and I would continue to do this once I, once I stopped doing this job
1: well especially because like we touched upon this already but there's so much that's wrong with this world I mean like I, that's brought up the First Nations but you can go across the board and different groups are suffering in different ways and so uh, when you look at people like Bono Chris Martin's another one who's been involved in a number of initiatives and things like that it almost makes sense. Like you have to do something because you can't just continue to let these people suffer. Like
0: Once you've seen what goes on, how could you turn your back on them? That's the simplest question. I I hear a lot of people rip on Bono a lot. You know, they think he's this or they think he's that. And all I sit back and think is, how many lives have you saved today? Because Bono is one of the guys that convinced George W. Bush to send a lot of money to Africa that saved a lot of lives. It was Bono who went into that room. Of course, a lot of other people, of course, a whole, a whole grassroots organization, but Bono really helped. And I I get it if people don't want to help, but why do you want to stand in the way of those who do? Bono has done an incredible amount of good work with his celebrity. What's also funny to me, Sammy, is that those same people who are mad at Bono for constantly banging the drum for justice have no problem with Beyonce selling her, selling her soda pop. Mm-hmm. So she's using her, not, now granted, she does good work too, but I'm saying a celebrity using their platform to sell something that could give you diabetes if you take too much, <laughs> yeah. right? Everybody's fucking cool with that. Kim Kardashian, everybody's cool with that. I got a pair of Yeezys, I got three. You know, Everybody's cool with fucking Kanye, Con- although Kanye gets a lot of grief. but, <laughs> yeah. but people, Some of it is earned. Some of it is earned, yeah. But people are, they forgive a lot of bullshit But turn their back on people doing good work. And I know that when I'm saying this, there are a lot of people who are going to be turned off about what I'm saying. Because they'll be like, don't tell us how to live your life. I'm not. You do whatever you want. You do whatever you want, girl. Whatever you want, guy. (laughs) Whatever you want. I'm just saying that if people are doing good work, consistently doing good work, and you don't want to help, no judgment, but get out of the way. Like, that's the Bob Dylan lyric, man. You know, get out of the way if you can't lend a hand. And that's, I'm kind of a dick about it because- I have been to a lot of these places around the world, and those people who are suffering in, a really, in really traumatic situations, often because of a, an imperialist or a colonial you know, stamp on that country, those people would like an opportunity at a good life too. I mean, they have a good life, but an opportunity at jobs and an opportunity at these things that our countries in the West wouldn't let them have. You know, Haiti becomes the first independent black nation, right? You think the rest of the world's going to let that fucking fly? No, well, they stomped on them. When did France finally forgive the debt after the earthquake? Like, because France was like, no, 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 we still, you know, the And we benefit from it. We benefit from it, even though if we're not actively participating in the in the in the oppression. We have benefited from it. So, it is our responsibility too. I believe to be out there and doing your part. You know, more people get pissed off and start crying when they watch, uh, they hear that Sarah McLachlan song and they see the SBCA commercial. Yeah. I think it's the angel song. I will remember whatever it is. Right. It's like, fuck man, the dogs, me too. Yeah. But more people care about puppies often or more people do work for puppies. than They'll do work. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, you know, for people, not most, but a lot. And, uh, and I'm just not going to be one of those people. Again, I'm not, it's really important. I'm not judging you, but just get out of the way of people who are trying. Bono's done an incredible amount of work consistently for decades.
1: what you're talking about too is the I mean we're going back to punk rock and we mentioned the clash, but what you're talking about is a, is the system that's in place. The system is designed I know this sounds like I'm just like a high schooler who's angry whatever, so you're whatever right, not, the system is designed to keep certain people away, keep certain people down yep. to like 100%. the Flint the Flint Michigan example again, like that's what the system was designed to do. Yes. <laughs> it's it working. Designed, yeah. It's not an accident. <laughs> no. People go, oh the system's broken. No. It's what they wanted, and people are always shocked because it's like it's 2018 and we should be more better and we should be more progressive and we should accept black people. And we should be, yeah. but I'm like the system hasn't. The system doesn't recognize the year. Yeah, the system is designed and is a machine that just keeps going, and that's what it does. Hundred percent. And so when people are upset that like actresses can't do this or the Flint Michigan can't get good water, I'm like, yeah, but you're participating in a system that was that's what it was designed to do. Yeah,
0: like Me Too is not shocking. Mm-hmm. It's not shocking. We know this behavior. I mean, I I didn't know about specific allegations, but. We know that this system has been oppressing women forever. Right. I'll get, here's an example. So when Bill Maher said the N-word on his show, mm-hmm. right? I, like I, I I know Bill not well, but I know him a little bit. Bill's not racist. Regardless, he said it. Once he said it, I thought, Oh my god, he stepped and in it. He yeah, and he knew it. He had it faced it head on, apologized. Very hard to apologize for that, but I, but Bill, you know, I would never tell Bill, how Bill did his part, right? I'm a big fan of Ice Cube. Ice Cube was on the show and was basically giving Bill a hard time accepting the apology, but explaining to him why it was so wrong for him to say the N word. Agreed. I agreed with everything Ice Cube said a hundred percent, right? But I was sitting at home watching this thing. Seriously, no one's going to say the fucking obvious thing. There was a uh, there was two other people on the panel, I believe. One of them, I believe, was a woman. I forget her name. I don't. There's another gentleman. I forget his name too. But I was like, Ice Cube. Didn't you popularize a bitch is a bitch? That song. <laughs> yeah. You have been, you have been destroying women in your lyrics, nonstop from the get go. If I, now listen, I understand context, youth, I get it, different time, I get it. But if I'm on that show, I would say to Ice, you're 100% right. Do you now promise you will no longer, in every song, yeah. call women what you've been calling women. So even in, even with the so-called, and I used to bring this up all the time in the show, and people would be so mad at me going, you can't tell rappers how to talk. I'm like, I'm not telling rappers how to talk. I'm telling any musician. You can call a specific woman whatever you want. Because if you're mad at her, mm-hmm. but if you just generally like, you can call a specific person anything. Right? Jack is a dick. You can't say all people are dicks. Jack's a dick. If mm-hmm. Jack's acting like dick, he's a fucking dick. Right. right? But so this sort of hypocrisy drives me crazy, especially because nobody's been oppressed more than women, which is proven from the beginning of time. Even the bullshit of the Adam and Eve story is she's from his rib. Even that, she didn't get her own story. Right? So, and again, this is stuff that when I was 17 or 18, I didn't know I used the wrong language. I did all those things too. I I didn't do the bad things, but I, I mean, I used the wrong words, but as I got older, I was like, Oh fuck, I need to be a better person. And I learned that from MCA, the beastie boys from record one to two, and then to check your head changed the beastie boys grew and they rejected the previous misogyny in their lyrics. That's how I learned. So the expectation is be better. Like, this idea that everybody, oh, you know, just accept you for who you are. No. Be better. <laughs> be more inclusive. Be more. And that's punk rock, bro. That yeah. Punk rock. That's what I was
1: getting yeah. at. Like, that's, I think, where, because um, punk rock recognizes, uh, sometimes, it re- addresses a problem, yeah. recognizes a problem. Addresses- and I love
0: Ice Cube. It's a challenge to Ice Cube and anybody to use different language. That's all. No, no. I ain't no, telling it's... Ice Cube how to be Ice Cube. I'm just saying we can't. <laughs> Especially Ice Cube with yeah. that face. Yeah. yeah. Ice, Cube's, a bad. Ice <laughs> Cube's amazing. Yeah. But, and I don't think Ice Cube's a misogynist by any means. God, no. But I'm just saying you can't go on TV and hammer on somebody for doing something that you are also doing. And language is a tool of the oppressor. It is a tool. And just because I grew up ethnic and I'm not a visible minority doesn't mean that I can't see it. I don't have to live it to at least want to be part of making it better. And that, that's all I was saying, you know? And again, I learned a lot of that from punk rock.
1: Well, and Ice Cube makes those Are We There Yet movies, right? Yeah, which and are I th- hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the point I'm making, though, is that what you're saying, too, is you need to allow people to evolve as well and to change. Are we, we there yet?
0: No, yeah. Right? And we, so- It's a good point, actually. We can't, you can't just crush people for the mistakes they made in their past. Right. Unless they broke the law. That's different.
1: If you're a 15-year-old kid and you steal a candy bar, it doesn't mean you're a thief and you need to go to jail for 20 years and like- 100%. You're just a dumb kid who right. made a mistake.
0: Also, if you're a 15-year-old kid who says something stupid on Twitter, right, your whole life you shouldn't be dogged by that. It's your point. You should be allowed to grow. We live in a punitive culture. Right. Everybody wants their pound of flesh. And okay, but that will not break the cycle. And history has proven that. So if we are in the era of, of, of punitive where a kid says something stupid online, you're going to bully him to death. Um, again, I'm not talking about breaking the laws. There's such a thing as justice and people do have to face their consequences. I completely agree. But I'm just saying that I watched Angela Davis speak, the great Angela Davis speak in Vancouver a, few, a little while back. And she's, an uh, a, 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 I suppose, a prison abolitionist in a way. If you want to break the cycle, you want real change. You can't just throw people in jail. It ain't going to make it better. And we, if we, it's like, are we there yet? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I believe Ice Cube's a major leader and could take us to a new direction. Ice Cube's one of the most important voices in my life. Thankfully, at some point I learned around and went, well, oh, I, I shouldn't see women the way NWA raps about women. I grew up loving NWA, but I have a real hard time singing along now. <laughs> yeah. I have a real hard time singing along, so I don't. I still play some of the stuff, but I'm very careful about it and I have the context.
1: And this, again, is the punk rock that you're talking about, which is like, punk rock is like that fire where you want things to change, right? You address it, but you also recognize that you may not necessarily have the tools, so it's the de- do-it-yourself kind of thing, and you just do the three chords of the truth, and yep. you try and get it done as best as you can, yep. which gets us full circle back to House of Strombo, in a sense, promoting this music and promoting yep. these ideas and getting these guests on.
0: Yeah, just you know, just do it for the right reasons, and hopefully you'll be able to do it again tomorrow, Which is kind of the thing, Um, but it has to be done in an authentic way. It has to be done. But you know, we had in our house against me came and played one of my favorite bands in the world. Love Laura Jane. I first interviewed against me when Laura Jane was called Tom, and they were and still are a very hardcore punk rock in terms of hardcore with their with their politics, right, in a good way. And she said something really interesting because when I first interviewed against me with Tom wasn't a very comfortable interview. As Laura Jane, very, very different interview. She's grown, obviously, we have all grown. But she said something really interesting. She said, do it, your, do it yourself doesn't mean do it alone. And oh, that yeah. really stayed with us.
1: Do it yourself doesn't mean, yeah. It doesn't mean do
0: it alone. She's right. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot in our crew. Bob and I and Colton, we talk about it a lot. The idea of community team. And collectively we can do something. Not everybody's going to like it. That's okay. Lots of people have lots of baggage when it comes to me. Like, oh, there's that fucking guy from Hockey Night in Canada. Fuck that guy. Or there's that guy from CNN. Fuck that guy. Or there's a guy from CNA. You know, what are you going to do? You can't change those people, right? And moreover, you don't have to. You just do the good work and the people who want to be a part of it will be a part of it. Challenge your own audience. It is an unpopular approach. It is not the easiest approach. You know, back to Bono, I said, why do you think more artists don't do what you do? And he said, because they have too much sense. Sticking your neck out like this is work. You get beat up every step of the way. You just have to not care about, you got to care about the right things, you know? And I I really believe in, don't do it alone. You know, don't do it alone. Do it with us. You have me, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah, We've tried to make this happen. I'm happy to sit across from you. We do this together. That's how we move the conversation forward. I'm not interested in people's cynicism. I like critical thinking, not cynicism. It goes back, we're circling back again to Jordan. Jordan was hated, like, especially in places like New York, but yeah. they respected him. Well, they, they had to, right? would kill you every night. Yeah, I know. Although Jordan was a different animal. I mean, Jordan's Hall of Fame speech was pretty balling. Like he, That guy just took everybody apart. Yeah, I right? know. Still, like, still to the end. He was not going to be gracious. <laughs> yeah. Not even a minute. So yeah. I don't know that I would be like that. Nor am I as good as Jordan. But I do remember, I was an NBA reporter in, in the Jordan era. and. I remember when Michael would take the ball, and we would watch it and think, "Well, we'll never see that again. We'll never see that again." Mm-hmm. Six for six in the finals, man. I know this is it. So when people say, "You know, oh, Tom Brady's seven and two in this, or five and two in the Super Bowl, or whatever," or it could be six and two. Um, LeBron's been LeBron's amazing. I love LeBron. I think who LeBron is too is powerful. I love LeBron, but six. And, oh, in the finals. I mean, can you imagine getting there and never losing once? That's amazing, man. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen in
1: my life. There's no rebuttal for it, too. Like, that's, like... It's like, because like I was saying, like people hate on Jordan, whatever. But then you say like six and zero, and like, go, okay.
0: Yeah, and I guess it depends what you value. Yeah. In basketball, it's about winning. Right. Yeah. In sports, it's about winning for sure. I laugh when I when I hear people go. Sports teach people good lessons in life. No, it doesn't. Sports teaches you. You watch guys on TV all the time. You fall down, you break your leg. The whole audience says, "Get up, you bum." Sports does not teach you good lessons. Not at a pro level. <laughs> what well,
1: you and know? Jordan six and too, Like the one of the takeaways I always took from that was like. You reach you reach success when you deny others glory. Yeah. Which was a weird lesson, yeah. because he was a stumbling block for so many teams—Sonics and Utah Jazz—they had it, Dude. but he denied
0: them glory. He Denied them glory. I sometimes think he retired just so Hakeem could win a couple of titles. <laughs> he just let the dream get too, you know. Yeah, that's all he did. Yeah. Now listen, I don't approach it that way. Yeah. I don't want to deny people's glory. I want everybody to have the glory. Mm-hmm. That's how we approach. So we're unlike Jordan in that respect. Um, but if we're playing basketball or playing hockey or whatever, win just win that's it i like people to win with sports personship but but when you're talking more like the spurs
1: in a sense yeah kind of just get more people involved and yeah, everybody like
0: i mean the spurs what a run right Winning yeah. with the admiral and then winning with tim like that's that's a run basketball to me was always even though hockey was my number one sport and motorcycle racing watching valentino rossi race for yamaha watching jordan at the bulls That's a thing, because one person can change the game. Hockey, you can, but it's very difficult because it's very—you know—the best players in the league don't win championships either. But there was no denying that you couldn't come close to Michael. Maybe Mamba, but even Mamba needed, you know, Shaq. Yeah, that's (laughs) fair. You know, oh Mamba, what a player he was. But we can't give Kobe love because the whole. Controversy <laughs>
1: um, But I do want to end on one po- slightly yeah. positive note Just to go back to yeah. House of Strombo And the work that you're doing there This, I'll, at the end of the day It sounds more like it's celebrating freedom in a sense Invite a whole bunch of people, have yeah. a good time Let yeah. the bands play It's freedom, and this is what you're talking about When we live in a culture that kind of punishes you For like, oh you said the wrong words yeah. Or you didn't use the politically correct term Yeah,
0: well we hammer people for not using the politically correct term too But we, but we, but we, we think they can get better not everything has to be a blood on the pavement moment. Some right, can be which is freedom. Moments. Yeah, it's a, it's also just about community. A big thing of what we're doing is community. We love music so much, and we know that you do too. So we want you to be able to come see your favorite bands in an environment that isn't sterile. That's what we want out of this, right? Um, so for us, it's about community. There is a freedom in that for sure, but we also we're big on respect. That is it. We don't we don't let I don't like certain words being uttered. You know, I don't like it when the N word is played on our radio show. You know, I, I don't want to censor songs. I don't. But I hear that word, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake!s Why don't you make me do this? Like, Why, why do? I, why? Because I, I don't want to disrupt the art. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, why do I really want some kid in a car, 12 years old, listening to the radio, hearing that shit? Uh, you know, so it's a challenge, right? Same thing when with the B word. Same thing. I hate the R word. When people say the R word, it drives me crazy because the R word is the equivalent of the N word, or mm-hmm. you know, or any other racial slur. You're making fun of somebody based on how they how they're born. That that really sits well un- unwell with me. Because it has no tax. People say the R word like it's nothing. It has no. Ta- if you said the N word publicly, you have problems. You say the R word, almost nobody bats an eyelash. Um, we do. So we, we, we do believe in freedom, but we believe in equality too and social justice. Other, but I don't destroy people for saying that stuff. You know, like we just, we work with them on it.
1: Alright, that's a positive note. Let's yeah. end it there. Yeah. Thanks for you your have, time. Yeah, no, thanks for coming in and just like and doing the cool stuff like House of Strombo. So thanks,
0: man. Come by for the next one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Do you are you allowed to say who the next one is or are you Yeah, yeah.
0: The next one is Death from Above. Oh Death from Above. Pops now. Okay. Yeah, Death from Above. We so they came into my house and shredded. The actual parts of the rafters fell. Okay. Yeah, the, the, that's a good party. Yeah, that's a good part. I when I, I I saw them come down, I went, here we go. Now is the house party.
1: Alright. Yeah, I'll come by and we'll party it up. So. Anytime. Good to see you, Thanks, man. George,
0: man. Thanks for your time.
1: And uh, do you want to plug the social media where yeah, people I mean, can uh, find yeah, you?
0: Yeah, if you want, sure. I'm at Strombo. At Strombo on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strombo. There's the YouTube channel, which is the Strombo Show. We're trying to get the Strombo one back um, from CBC. So it's basically at Strombo. I'm on Spectrums. My ID number 666 there. No surprise. Um, but yeah, just follow along and uh, and we're always sharing stuff.
1: And I'm Sam Unin. This has been My Summer Layer featuring George Strombolopoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at MyPalSammy. All right, cool. Thanks again for coming in. Always, buddy.